Welcome to Homegrown, our new podcast from Keep Indiana Learning. In this podcast, we will amplify the voices of educators, thought leaders, and all those who are working to transform teaching and learning from the ground up. I'm Carrie Rosebrock. And I'm Lena Darnay. And we are two professional learning specialists for Keep Indiana Learning. In this episode, we're excited to share a conversation that Tim Wilhelmus, a Keep Indiana Learning digital learning coach, had on Safer Internet Day with four amazing education technology thought leaders. Thanks, Tim. Uh, welcome, everybody. I'm just uh, I'm excited. I'm hosting my very first um, panel discussion for Keep Indiana Learning. Um, and this is an opportunity to just get some great folks together and talk about some of the things that we're passionate about in education technology. Um, and today we're going to be talking uh, about digital citizenship sort of generally, but we'll kind of dive into some different avenues and parts of digital citizenship with my panel. And I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. So uh, Diana, you want to introduce yourself? Hello. Thanks, Tim, for having us here today. Uh, my name is Diana Gill. I am the director of technology for East Porter County Schools in Northwest Indiana. And Merv, how about you? Yeah, uh, I'm Merv Lapus. I'm the Vice President of uh, Education, Outreach, and Engagement for Common Sense Education. Casey. I'm Casey Boyd. I am a librarian at Jefferson Academy in um, Washington, D.C., working for the District of Columbia Public School System. Awesome. And Carrie, how about you? Hi, everybody. Thanks for having us again, Tim. Um, my name is Carrie Gallagher, and I serve as the assistant principal for teaching and learning at a school called St. John's Prep in Danvers, Massachusetts. And I also serve as the director of education for an internet safety nonprofit called Connect Safely. Awesome. And uh, I'm Tim Wilhelmus. I'm an innovation curriculum and technology specialist for the Evansville Vanderburg School Corporation here in Indiana. And um, also, I had the awesome opportunity this past summer to have a conversation with this exact group um, for the Indiana Connected Educators um, and had a, a, a great conversation before and just thought this would be a great opportunity um, to revisit um, that conversation and see what else we can learn as we go. Yeah, I can get started. Um, I know that uh, you know everyone here has actually been huge contributors for addressing uh, not just internet safety, digital, but digital citizenship as a whole. Um, so I want to, you know, call that out um, for anyone who has an opportunity just to kind of check out the work from Diana, Carrie, and, and Casey. Uh, they, they all come in here with a wealth of experience um, and resources. Uh, I myself, uh, working with Common Sense Education, um, have been working on su supporting schools uh, to address digital citizenship as a whole community approach for over 11 years now in my time with the organization. And our, really our goal is to provide free research-based curriculum uh, that addresses digital citizenship um, but provide you that resource in a way where you can take 15 minutes out of the day to address these issues or really, which, you know, really is kind of the goal for a lot of districts is how do you build a whole culture around digital citizenship as part of learning um, in general now? I mean, even before the pandemic, it was a goal that technology is becoming a, a major player, a major part of the way that we learn and live. So how do we really empower kids to think critically um, about the way that we use that media and tech? And so we want to provide those resources for free um, and accessible across many different platforms, but especially on our site, folks can go there and find things that are available, uh, broken down by grade level, um, aligned to um, social emotional learning, and looking at things like character and even just kind of other outcomes that schools are hoping to kind of achieve for addressing these issues. They shouldn't be one-time things that are check marked off, like, oh yeah, safety and privacy is an issue, we address it, but really, how are we building strong, you know, uh, thought uh, ethical kids that are thinking critically, that are um, 
being creative um, and, and seeing opportunities to really collaborate in ways uh, that technology provides that now, right? But also being conscious about technology and the way that it works, the way that it uses us or the way that we can use it. So build, building agency, building civic engagement and voice, but also ensuring that we're, we're maintaining safety um, uh, for ourselves and for you know, our students uh, and even our families. So Common Sense is a great place for folks to kind of check out. Um, and oftentimes we're pushing out to other great resources, some of which are heavily used or even created by folks here on this call. So hand it off that next baton to who wants to take it next. Um, I'm happy to talk a little bit about Safer Internet Day. Um, and I just, Merv, thank you for mentioning all the resources from Common Sense. Um, I think that there's certainly many of the educators that I work with and have consulted with and even families that I've worked with um, who come to me with concerns about their children. Um, we've been able to partner together and use Common Sense resources to help facilitate those conversations. And I think that's a great segue into one of the great missions of Connect Safely, um, we're lucky enough to be the official U.S. host of Safer Internet Day, and so we partner with organizations all over the country, um, nonprofits and, um, you know, companies that are part of the online industry alike, and we also part with, partner with um, the National PTA to connect with parents um, and also <clears throat> with uh, educators so that we can bring the message into schools, just like um, Merv was mentioning, that it isn't just a lesson, it's a culture we're learning to build. Um, and so in that way, our organizations really are aligned. Um, I think, um, first of all, I want to direct folks to saferinternetday.us to find all of the resources that we've put together for Safer Internet Day. Um, even if you're watching this recording and it no longer is February 9th, those resources are, um, you know, they, they will live on, and those are lessons that can work at any time, um, just based on the needs and the pacing at, at your school and in your curriculum. So I urge you to check those out. One of the great missions of Connect Safely is to build bridges between um, schools and parents, too. And so on our website, we have guides that are meant for educators, and we have guides that are directed at parents to really respect those different roles that each of us plays um, with the children that we care for. So. Um, many of us are lucky, lucky enough to be educators and parents, and so we have kind of a foot in both places and, um, and know what that experience is like. Um, but even if you are someone who's in one role or the other, these resources can help you figure out how to bridge that gap and communicate with the teachers of your children, or if you're a teacher, how to communicate with the parents of the children that you have um, to, to really build a nice, strong partnership between school and family. It's really important for all of the adults to be on the same page for how we're gonna to talk to our kids about their technology. That is really what builds that powerful culture. So thanks. Casey, you have thoughts? Uh, yes, um, thank you. <laughs> um, Diana and Merv are so right um, that Common Sense Media and uh, Internet Connect Safely, it's just two programs that are really great to use. The Always a struggle in school systems is that we introduce this at the beginning of the year and then we kind of forget about it. And um, I mean, I'm not pointing fingers at my district, but there's so much that needs to be done in the scope of the year. I'm happy that my district does introduce these um, materials. They want us to use them heavily, but then it's kind of like forgotten about. And that's why those relationships with um, the educators are extremely important because uh, educators can still find a way to slide in all of those lessons, those activities um, that can be taught throughout the year. I teach a media studies class 
And in teaching that media studies class, I'm constantly incorporating um, many ideals and many lessons in because um, the, the students need it. They are inundated with information. They're oftentimes very lost. Um, and, you know, like say for Internet Day, you know, is is today, you know, but at the same time, you know, at, just like Carrie said, the lessons still live on. And we have we have uh, teachers that are looking for assistance and we have situations that occur, you know, um, in uh, our communities or in our nation. And we have to go back and revisit many of those lessons, you know, uh, common sense media, when we have some bullying issues that take place online, you know, I have gone back to those lessons because they have been very helpful, you know, with talking to kids, um, of recent one tool that I'm using heavily is the news literacy project. And, um, I'm doing that because I'm starting to see more and more with kids is that they are having a difficulty, um, evaluating material you know, that it's presented to them. And they're presented with a, a, a trunk load of misinformation. How to disseminate that information is what my focus is. So having these multiple tools uh, to support student learning is extremely important. And I'm very grateful for all of them because it's helping my students greatly. And I, I almost want to like, this is sort of related, but it's overlapping for me as I listen to everyone um, comment about this stuff. Um, I want to point it back to the adults for a second, because right now we have our our responsibilities are endless. But right now, our responsibility to make sure that we're thinking about our own citizenship as we design online content for our students, it's it's really complicated because we need to make sure that we're understand understanding how to reach our students in online spaces and design things with instructional strategies in mind. And so it's more it's so much more complex than just thinking about like, did sit as we did a year ago. Now we have to be as adults really sound on how we're reaching our students. And it's so it's bigger than just the safety component. Um, I'm talking about integrating like SEL and just our overall like the strategies we're using in online content in general. And one of the things that um, one of my favorite things about Common Sense is the new wide open school having all that content, like you didn't mention it, but I have to say something about it. And I know it's not directly related to DigSit, but as adults, what is our role right now as as good digital citizens? And I also think, you know, to point again to what KC was saying, um, it's a lot about information literacy too. And so we think about what our country just collectively experienced in the political realm. And then we take the pandemic and put that on top of it um, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking about like what adults in education need to be thinking about right now. And so we're, we should be talking about um, individuals getting banned from Twitter for spreading misinformation. Like, What better time to make sure we're talking about this with our students? There's never been a better example ever, right, than to talk about these things. Um, how are we helping our students spot fake news and what are what are resources that we could be using with our students to increase their own information literacy um, skills but then how are we helping our educators do that i know that i personally work in a school corporation that does not have a licensed media specialist so how are our teachers able to feel supported in yeah that's real like how are our teachers feeling supported in helping our students do that when they don't get support on that. So I'm I really want to like 
my brain is just kind of spinning right now on like what adults can do better first to pass those skills down to the kids. I think it's a great question. You know, I'm kind of picking up on a lot of pieces here, but um, one of the pieces that's that's kind of come bubbled up from all of you is this idea of, you know, how how communal this work is, right? And how um, how all of us have a piece of it and it can feel so overwhelming. I and mean, one of the things when I first started, you know, really investigating digital citizenship as, as part of my job um, was how huge of a topic it is. It's almost, you know, it's it's so many things, right? And you can bubble it down to an idea that, you know, that hopefully aspirationally, are we contributing in the digital world in positive ways? Um, but that doesn't change the fact that, you know, there's so many, I mean, gosh, Diana, you just mentioned probably 10 in what you just said of things that, that, that are so, that are so big by themselves. Like the question of, you know, social media's role in um, in our society and its responsibilities, because they're contending with that. I mean, I think about you know the you know Twitter and Facebook and and even Amazon having the conversations that they've had to have. You know, they've just not been able to dodge the the question around free speech the way they have in the past, um, if that makes sense. So, I mean, so to me, that's just, I mean, that's, I don't know what, what I'm saying. So <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not going in a specific direction, but like it strike it strikes me that that community piece is huge. And I think we're right to focus on, on the adults in our care. Yeah. Can I add, add to, I think, Diana, thank you for bringing that up. And, and, and Tim, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I think one of the things that we have not just done research on, but really in communicating with educators and parents, you know, it's, Oftentimes, role modeling is a huge part of it. I, parents have to be honest. Sometimes our parents are spending more time on their own platforms than their own kids. But yet, we're quick to point out when kids are spending out too much time. We're also, right now, we're at a point where there's a lot of kids at home still learning from home primarily as their main place of education. And parents are trying to navigate, you know, working too long now alongside with saying, oh, it's all work when, you know, you're also on your own Facebook or Instagram pages. And now, you know, your kids have been doing, you know, whatever uh, tool it might be, you know, for learning. And then now they're, looking to play a video game or something like that. And we're like, oh no, you're spending too much time. So quick to judge, not also just looking at our own, but then also recognizing that if we are going to address these issues in the classroom, teacher confidence and capacity in addressing these issues need to be addressed just as much. Just to say, here's everything you need, go for it. These are complex conversations. And as Casey mentioned, um, and even and, and Diana and Carrie mentioned, there are so many things that are happening right now that are incredible opportunities to jump in to topics with with kids who have questions yeah. um, or even even have insight and we're not providing them the space to have it and it does take curricular ties to recognize this is an opportunity to look at how we uh, build certain uh, types of, of research opportunities for kids how we how we find um, uh, positions and be able to stand behind positions and 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 engage in these types of conversations that are still meeting real learning objectives in the classroom but it takes stepping back recognizing that these aren't just a set of skills that to, to be checked off, but these are skills that are part of building teacher practice as much as they are a part of dispositions for kids. Kids are, and not just kids, so everyone who's using a platform, these platforms have dark patterns. These patterns are, are built on an algorithm and they lead you in different directions. If you don't know how that works, that makes it a little challenging as an educator, not let alone as a student, right? 
But then recognizing that if we know certain things work this way and we know that we are looking to um, you know, get a better sense of what of information of how you want to use it or the research or information that's coming in through your social feeds, we want to make sure that we're providing opportunities for folks to think critically about these issues, again, lining out to these real kind of learning outcomes, but then providing a space to look at kids' decisions are based on platforms that are meant to go fast, but we're asking them to slow down and take, a, take an opportunity to think about who is this gonna affect, why, why are you doing this? What do you hope to get out of it? That all comes in practice. That's like if there's a, if I'm crossing a train track, I stop, look and listen. I know that it's been built in. Well, if you're running into something that makes you feel uncomfortable, there's no disposition or there's no um, short uh, artifact that's, that's, that you're trained to do now as a kid. So we need to build those skills right off the bat and everything they do because it's a part of the way li they live and learn. It's not just a social place or a platform. It is their community in many cases, right? So we need to provide them opportunities to train, practice, and really get a sense uh, of knowing that when they make decisions, it has real long-term implications. Um, as educators, how do we do that? How do we empower our kids to do that? Um, as parents, how do we do that? How do we role model that, right? And just as community leaders or administrators, how do we provide the space for our educators to get that training and support so they can practice that before they're expected to bring it into the classroom? And I just said, you know, I gave a lot of hows. Uh, you know, there's many types of solutions, but it, it takes a a community and a culture in the district to make those things happen. So as you were talking, Marv, I was just thinking about in addition to wanting to make sure our teachers feel confident in helping kids learn how to slow down and how to like take in the information, develop a filter that helps them process and analyze the information, right? Um, I think we also want our teachers to feel confident in allowing their students and parents to allow their children to learn how to express themselves using the digital platforms. Like it, there isn't a right or wrong way to express yourself. There are new ways to express ourselves that the adults may not be as comfortable or familiar with, but we shouldn't, um, as a result of our lack of familiarity or discomfort, um, discourage our own children or students from using those means of helping them share and develop their identities because it is important for them to learn how to do that. And I have a I have a quick story to illustrate this. We have um, our eighth grade class at my school does a, a long term deep research project on um, an area of climate change that they are most interested in. Um, and they get to develop out their their topic and do deep research. And they we make sure we arrange that they each has an interview with an expert. And it's an amazing project. And the first year that they did this project five years ago, it was like a bunch of trifold boards. And it was like a whole, you know, walkthrough experience. And it was awesome because the deep research was well worth the effort. And the trifolds were the trifolds. And they decorated them. They were lovely. But this year, it, it, it has changed over time to, you know, working... Um, um, you know, working models of things and online experiences. And this year, obviously, we're moving more toward those more hands-on things um, that they can share virtually. And there's a, a pair of students that um, are passionate about creating their own um, uh, virtual reality video games on an online platform that they use in their personal lives. And this is something that they do because they're friends. And they went to their science teacher and said, can we create like a, a virtual reality game that walks people through what we discovered through our research? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> he was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to let you do that. But you know what he knew? He knew he could email me and find out. 
He knew, like, we've created a culture where he knew he could ask, I know this isn't one of our systems. These kids are really excited. What can we do? And so I dug in. I looked at their privacy policy. I looked at their terms of use. And I said, okay, it doesn't fit neatly into K-12. So the easy answer is no. But if we go through these 10 steps together, you and me and the parents, and we talk to the kids about why we have to go through these steps, this is how we can make it work. And so we started that process today. And the parents' responses are, no way you're willing to let him do this. Like they're thrilled. And I said, yeah, but have you read this part of the privacy policy? Do you understand how much information they're collecting about your son? Like, and do you understand what he puts on the platform? Here's what they can do with that content, even though it was his like intellectual property. And they're like, the fact that you are empowering me to have these conversations with my son alone is worth this pursuit. So, and that's just like Merv was hinting at, um, that's just one aspect of digital citizenship. And like you were talking about Diana with like interpreting the the impact of social media on people's actual actions and what can happen in politics. Like that's another aspect of digital citizenship, right? And um, you know, the impact that Casey and I have talked about in recent days and weeks that social media can have with giving people who traditionally have not had a voice, a voice. And to get those of us who are used to being heard to pay attention to people, who haven't had a voice before. Like all of those are different. It is huge, just like you said, Tim, right? But I think finding victories in those little stories like that one I just told are the little pebbles we can drop in to make a difference in the in the much larger pool. And I love I'm, it. I'm listening to you, Karen. I'm having an epiphany because I'm sitting here as a parent. So my my son is in kindergarten, he's six. And I got this little message from um, another mom in his backpack this week. And it's a Facebook kids messenger code so that my six-year-old can connect with her six-year-old. And it's just been sitting on my desk for the last couple of days because I do this for a living. And I'm like, as a parent, I'm like, should I be doing, should my kid do this? I don't know. And so I had an epiphany, like that teacher knew that he could reach out to you and ask those questions. But if our parents, like if our parents in our community don't know who they can ask questions about, like, how they, I, I'm scared of this and I do, I talk about this every day. I can't imagine what like, you know, someone who doesn't feel confident might, might think about this or maybe they aren't stopping to think about the um, implications of it at all. I don't know. So it makes me feel like this conversation is making me feel super motivated to like be a better voice for our parents. You know, one, another thing I, that kind of bubbled up as you guys were talking and it's, this has been on my mind a lot, partly because of my own daughter, but also because of, of my students. I think there are there are a couple of things going on here that I kind of want to just get your thoughts about. One is the SEL piece, right? Like that is their Merv, that is their community, and we need to be comfortable with it. But the the other piece of it is is it is it's become so much more of their community in some ways. What are the lessons that we need to learn to to make these you know this community as healthy as a face to face community? Another piece of it to me is the idea of if I'm not comfortable, you know, designing for virtual spaces, then how much harder is it for my kids um, to be successful in the spaces? And and to me, that's a digital citizenship piece that falls on us, right? I do. I can speak to that. Um, when, unfortunately, the uh, tragedy took place at the Capitol last month, um, Working in D.C., we had students that were directly impacted by that. My school is a, just a couple of blocks away from the Capitol building. 
And many of my uh, students and also the spouses of some of my coworkers, they work in that building. So can you imagine being, you know, middle schooler, four hours, you don't know what's happened to your parent because your parent is a clerk or works for one of the, um, the politicians on the Hill, you know, um, works in security, Capitol Hill police. They didn't know what was going on. And, and, you know, I, it, it, this is the thing that, you know, with educators, we, we don't talk about certain things and then we talk about others. And one of the best things that my principal did was he had an open community meeting, meaning um, assembly. And we're all 100% virtual right now. And he had this meeting where we encouraged the kids to talk. The kids talked. And then one of the things that I talked to my principal about is that I know you are the instructional leader. However, you have specialists on staff. You need to allow them to speak. And in their own voices, they were really delivering the same message, but from a different lens. And it talked about digital citizenship, digital literacy. I ho I honed in on, on um, identifying credible sources to get the information that they could uh, read about what has happened so they could process it. Because these are middle schoolers, you know, so they have a whole host of questions and they're looking at these nuts you know, down at the Capitol building, like, why are these people acting like this? And the kids are very opinionated because they know it's wrong, but they're trying to figure out the whys. Why is this occurring? And when we had the second meeting, the specialists in the building spoke. And this also uh, created a bridge to many of my teachers because um, teachers are kind of funny creatures. Sometimes they want you help from you and sometimes they just don't, you know? <laughs> so, so I reiterated my message, which is I'm not coming in your classroom to take over. I'm just here to assist and support and enhance your lessons. And I have tools out here to help you, you know? And so that, you know, through tragedy, it did reiterate some things. And now we're kind of looking at, we need to have some more discussions with these kids around digital citizenship, digital literacies, because, and not just at the beginning of the year, but it needs to be ongoing because look at what, what's happened. We went into a tailspin for a minute as a staff, but we picked ourselves up, dusted ourselves off, and we got back on board, and I think we're doing really well, you know, but these are the things that, that educators experience, and, and my classroom teachers have a ton of stuff that they're responsible for. They have a lot of pressure. I wouldn't want to be a classroom teacher. I just want to be honest with you. I love working as a school librarian. I have a different type of freedom, <laughs> so to say. But it, it's it's that we we have to assist our classroom teachers as best we can because they are inundated with information and material that they have to process and deliver to our kids. So it's best to try and support them as best as possible. Casey put, brought up two really important things. One is providing the space. So making the space to have the conversations and making the space. Um, and, you know, as an administrator or a teacher or a parent is again, like making sure that those times are made available. So that's one. Second, she says she has a whole host of tools she can bring. Part of those tools is providing the language. I can say like, uh, I'll share a story just about one of my own kids. Um, she's uh, fourth grade. And there was a situation where um, one of the kids started uh, screen recording and said it's because he wanted to put it on TikTok. And she said, excuse me, um, I didn't give you 
um, my, um, uh, what's the word she said? She said, I didn't give you my um, consent to use my image um, or my likeness in any way. And she got that language from us. Um, and as a parent, we took the time to have that conversation with her that she owns it. And we also role model it when we say, when we take a picture and they say, you can send that one, but I don't want you to send that one. And they own the value of their image and how they're represented, even it's though it's through my account, right? So providing kids that kind of language and especially with harder situations, you know, that's just a personal, you know, type of situation that happens daily with, you know, the way we use social media, but now looking at kind of information that's coming in, you have a feeling, you don't know how to process it. You don't have the language, whether it's, you know, what happened in at the Capitol or it's an arised Reddit feed that you ran by that's making you uncomfortable. Where's the space? You know, do I have the language and the tools, right? And as a community or as a school community, we need to provide those spaces and those tools. I was just thinking about like, I know before this group, we've talked about like defining digital citizenship and what Merv just said kind of reminded me of like my personal definition is sort of, giving tools to the students so that they can self-regulate. It's not about like filtering or censoring or or only providing the things that are safe. It's it's about providing the tools so that when everything is available to you, you can make the best decision for yourself. So that's all, Tim. That's what I was thinking about. Well, you know, it, it, so I'm going to tell sort of a personal story. So I'm back in the classroom this year um, to help out, you know, with uh, class sizes and, and whatnot. And it's been such a joy. I mean, it, truly a joy but also you know be i've been out of the classroom nine ten years and i come back into the classroom and the the technology that our students have is dramatically different of course than it was when i was last in the classroom they had just come off of what six months of not being in the classroom and and having those devices you know as as a part of their sort of regular time and it really took us a little while inside of my classes to get to that self-regulation point right to get to the point where um, we had the right language to to use Merv's point um, to talk to one another about sort of classroom expectations and whatnot because generally speaking I don't ever want to be the phone police I have no interest in that at all um, but I do want my kids getting the benefit of the things that we're doing in the moment and 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 I want them learning the lessons of self-regulation that that are required for them to be able to responsibly still check the text they just got but also be engaged in in the work that we're doing. I I had forgotten that piece of it and I found myself scrambling, you know, online asking and then asking teachers around me okay how are how are you managing this what are your you know what are your approaches to this and and it was i felt you know going into this year that oh my gosh i've got that piece right i mean that's but it really is always about that conversation and it's always about um building that relationship yeah yeah i was just thinking like i think we are always aiming toward helping the children that we take care of on a daily basis, our own children or the children who are in our classrooms or in our school communities, depending on where we are, and um, to, to learn how to self-regulate. But I think it's, there's a, it's important to make space for them to make mistakes because they can't self-regulate. They're only however old they are, right? So yes, we need to 
teach them how to eat a healthy diet, but we don't expect them after we teach them one time to maintain a healthy diet, therefore for the rest of their lives, we expect them to mess up and have a tummy ache and then we can process why that happened with them. But after the tummy ache is over, not while the tummy ache is happening, right? So similarly, we want to give them the skills to self-regulate while we have them in the classroom, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to mess up. And when they do mess up, we don't want to come down like a hammer. We want to be like, all right, you messed up. Because you messed up, you didn't get your homework done, and this grade suffered. Yeah, you're gonna have to sit with that for a minute, and that doesn't feel good. Because yeah, you you know you're feeling a little down on yourself. You know, let yourself feel that way because that's part of how the learning happens. And then now that we're on the other side, how are we gonna make up some ground? Because we can do it, and I can help you, right? So I think yes, we want to teach self-regulation, but we also want to developmentally like let them be kids and make the mistakes that they're gonna make and and make that a part, a natural part of the process instead of something that creates shame for them. Sure, absolutely. I mean, everybody wants to be the hero of their own stories, and we deserve to be the heroes of our own stories. And we also deserve the opportunity to recover from our mistakes, right? I mean, that's, you know, it's it's so nice to have a community. I think I'm just going to come back around to this idea of community really quickly for a moment and just say that, you know, I think one of the big takeaways for me from this conversation has been this idea of we don't have to know everything to uh, learn from one another. And that's that's something that sometimes we don't permit ourselves. Like we wanna be so like in charge and in control and that, and I think that's where we make our greatest mistakes is when, when we're most motivated to be in control um, as opposed to just being a little bit vulnerable and having um, the opportunity to, to uh, be part of a learning community. So that, and, and I guess my advice then to um, teachers who maybe are watching this is, you know, find your community because it's there's no shame in, in having these conversations. And in fact, having these conversations is, exact, is exactly how we get better at this stuff. So this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite each of you to share a takeaway from our conversation. That feels like a really good way for us to round out the, 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 the talk, if that's okay. I can go first. Um, be patient with the students your teachers, your administrators, and most importantly, yourself. Because this is ever evolving and changing. You have to go with the flow because the bottom line is that the students need to be serviced properly in this area. And um, and if we don't provide that service for them, we're gonna be, I, I just shudder when they leave me as eighth graders, they are not ready for high school. So we want our students to be fully prepared to go to the next level. So just be patient with yourself and just keep striving for excellence. Yeah, and I'm going to actually kind of piggyback off of that a little bit. I am thinking about, um, you know, it's hard not to think about COVID and how that's impacted education as we talk about these things. And if there's one thing that I hope we save is this, what Casey was kind of talking about, we've given ourselves and each other more grace and space to be vulnerable than I feel like I've ever seen in our careers. And that is a positive thing, like teaching our students that it's okay to say, I don't know, or I'm overwhelmed, or I'm having a hard day mentally. Um, and talking about those things, I think it's really positive. And I hope that that is a, it's something that we've, we've started to normalize. Um, I can, I can jump in. Um, I think, some of the big takeaways for me is, is just recognizing that we all play a role, that we don't all have to teach these things, but 
as a community, we need to understand what our goals are for, for how technology plays a role in the lives of our kids. Um, and that we know where to go to find resources and information um, that we're providing the space so we can build that capacity as an educator to address these issues or be prepared to address these issues. Get information as a parent so that you're operating with, you know, more around it, not just being punitive at every, you know, stroke of a bad, um, you know, decision um, uh, that was made, right? And and really thinking of that we all play a role in this. And as you mentioned earlier, digital citizenship especially isn't just something you address that one time, like Casey was mentioning, it's addressed in the beginning and then that's it. It will not truly become a part of the way that we kind of live and use tech unless it's a consistent thing that we are always addressing or making a part of the way that we make these decisions um, and a part of the way that we instruct and of a part of the way that we we parent and exist as a community online because it is more than a utility now. It is more than just a platform. It is a community space in many cases and in some forms, the only space we have in some places we're not back in classrooms yet. So. You know, and kids are thriving and then other kids are spiraling and we need to recognize these individual needs um, and where we move forward from here, um, you know, it's it's going to be different now. Um, and we've provided that opportunity and affordance to be graceful and learn. Um, we should maintain that same type of, um, you know, insight and support moving forward as, as, as we figure out what the new normal will look like, recognizing different needs uh, and different experiences. All right, I'm going to be try to be quick here because it's getting busier here in the background, um, which is why I held off. I think one of the greatest um, challenges and one of the most beautiful things about this topic is that the learning is never over. The process is never over. It's always developing. So, Tim, you brought us together because you value us as people with lots of experience and expertise in this field. But the truth is none of us would consider ourselves a master at this. Um, it's something that changes every day, and that's, I suspect, that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I every day is different. I am always challenged to um, continue to grow and then share what I learn with others so that they're able to continue to grow in my school community, in my classroom with my students, in my home with my family. Um, so we can look at that as something that's intimidating if it's an area we're not comfortable with, or we can look at it as a fantastic opportunity that each of us gets to be a part of in terms of making the internet a better place moving forward and adding our voice to it in a way that brings value and positivity to it. I am, as always, just humbled and great and grateful to you guys for, for your insights. I hope that we'll kind of continue to do this, maybe check in with each other um, from time to time and, and uh, maybe be able to share those conversations with others as well, because um, you know, I learn something every time we we get together, and I'm and I'm and I just want to just just say that. And so, I mean, with that said, thank you all so much. Thanks for having us, Tim. Great to thank see you again, Carrie, Casey, and Dan. Absolutely, thank you. thank you. Thank you, Tim, and thank you, Diana, Merv, Carrie, and Casey. We loved hearing from all of you, and thank you for contributing to our first episode of the Homegrown Podcast. Want a chance to hear more from Diana Gill, Tim Wilhelmus, and so many more amazing educators? Then you don't want to miss our Keep Indiana Learning Virtually Different Summer Conference. Register for the Keep Indiana Learning Virtually Different Summer Conference on June 29th and 30th by visiting keepindianalearning.org. The conference is only $25 for two days worth of content that will live for 12 months after the conference. Best yet? 
If you are a pre-service teacher, you can register for free. Sign up today at keepindianalearning.org. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Homegrown, a podcast by Keep Indiana Learning. Like what you heard? Share on your favorite social media channel, tag us, and leave a review. Homegrown is available on all major podcast servers and at keepindianalearning.org.